Yes, that's right. Yeah. So today the, we're going to be speaking about the tenant of faith, uh, the Mishkan tenant of faith, about Israel and our support for Israel. And as was mentioned, tomorrow is their, as a nation, their 75th anniversary. So during the counting of the Omer, which are the 50 days between Passover and Shavuot, uh, I will be giving sermons based on our Mishkan David Tenants of Faith. You can read our Tenants of Faith on our website, mishkandavid.org. Uh, there are 12 tenants that are bulleted out. And today I speak about tenant number seven, which is about our unwavering support and unwavering love for Israel, the land and the people. As a congregational leader, I give a lot of leeway when it comes to folks, your political stances, of course, I don't care what anybody feels about many political topics, uh, immigration, gun control, many of the hot topics of today, uh, I don't touch from the bima, from the pulpit, but some topics that are political are far more than political. They truly, truly are biblical issues, and for those issues, our stance will always be with the Bible. Congregationally, we are unwaveringly pro-life. We are unwavering that biblical romance, sexuality, marriage is between a man and a woman. We're unwavering about identity being given by God at birth. You are beautifully and wonderfully made, whether you're born male or female, boy or girl, and we can't change that no matter how we feel. Biblical issues. And another biblical issue that we are unwavering in is our support for the nation of Israel. So the tenant, as is written, says, and to give you a warning, this is the only tenant that we actually put a warning in. We believe that the formation of the modern country of Israel in 1948 was a direct fulfillment of biblical prophecy. And as such, Jewish people have divine ownership of that land and the right to govern it as a Jewish state. Our support for Israel is unconditional, independent of their state of faith. It is prophesied that all nations will be gathered against Jerusalem in the last days. Jerusalem will be an immovable rock, and all who lift it will be severely injured. That's from the Bible, Scripture. We wish no one to be on the wrong side of this prophecy. There's the warning. That warning comes from Zechariah 12, 2 through 3. To be clear, Mishkan David will never equivocate about this. We support Israel's right to exist right where they are on that strip of land, as a Jewish nation, this is our congregational stance, and it's non-negotiable. So we believe that the formation of the country of Israel in 1948 wasn't just political. It was prophetic. On May 14, 1948, the state of Israel was officially declared as an independent country, and the British mandate came to an end, and literally in one day... Israel was a nation again. This was a fulfillment of prophecy. Isaiah 66, 7 to 8 says, Before she was in labor, she delivered. Before her pain came, she gave birth to a boy. Who has heard such a thing? 
Who has seen such things? Can a land be born in a day? Can a nation be given birth all at once? As soon as Zion was in labor, she also delivered her sons. We believe that this prophecy of Isaiah was fulfilled on May 14, 1948, and it seemed to confound the prophet Isaiah because nations were built and formed back then through wars. That took, oh, a hundred years to complete. And here he's saying, how can this be? How can a nation be formed in one day? This was fulfilled, we believe, by the formation of Israel in modern times in 1948. This means that the parcel of land, that little land in the Middle East, divinely belongs to the Jewish people. And they have divine right to that land. And it's not just a sovereign right, but a divine right. And with that comes their own divine right given by God to govern the land, to enact their own policies, to enact their own immigration policies, to enact their own citizenship laws, and they have a divine right, of course, to self-defense. We reject the world's claims that they are occupiers in that land, and we reject the world's claims that they are an apartheid state. They are surrounded by nations that don't want them there, and they have a divine right to, to protect their people. Even as we speak today, Israel is under rocket attack by Islamic Jihad. Does it mean that we agree with every move that every prime minister makes, or every thought that every prime minister has, or every way that they govern? It doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that everything the government there does passes our own little sniff test of morality. It doesn't mean that, as an example, I don't agree with their law that Messianic Jews can't make Aliyah. I don't agree with it. I don't agree that they have a law against Christians sharing their faith. I don't agree with it. it but it means that our love and our support for Israel transcends these things, transcends all politics. Our support for Israel is unwavering when there's a liberal prime minister, a conservative prime minister, it doesn't matter. This is the biblical model, this is God's heart. Even in the past, Israel had good kings, Israel had not so good kings. None of that changed God's love for Israel. None of it moved his unchanging love for Israel. None of it changed his promises to Israel. His gifts and callings, the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. That's what Paul wrote. He's talking about the promises to Israel. None of that changed God's immense heart for Israel, even when they were sinning, as a special possession. The Jewish people being the divine owners of that land is a stance we will never sway on. Listen, God admonishes those who come against Israel and attempt to divide the land. Joel 3, an end times prophecy. It's definitely an end times prophecy. Verse 1 and 2 in Joel 3 says, For behold, in those days and at that time, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat, which is the valley of judgment, God's judgment, and I will enter into judgment with them, there, on behalf of my people and my inheritance, Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations, and they have divided up my land. 
Psalm 83, 1 to 5, says, God, do not remain quiet. Do not be silent, God, and do not be still. For behold, your enemies make an uproar, and those who hate you have exalted themselves. They make shrewd plans against your people and conspire together against your treasured ones. They have said, come, and let's wipe them out as a nation so that the name of Israel will no longer be remembered. For they have conspired together with one mind. They make a covenant against you. This same evil spirit is alive today. Zechariah 2.8 says, Whoever touches you, Zion, touches the pupil of my eye. As an exercise, I would like everybody to take their finger right now. Open your eyes quite wide. Take off your glasses if you have them on. Keep your eyes wide and slowly touch your pupil with your eye, with your, with your finger. Why don't you want to do it? Because it heights. That's apparently how God feels when we, the people, when the nations touch Israel. And he says in Zechariah 12, 9, On that day I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. This is why we say in our tenant, we don't wish anybody or any nation to be on the wrong side of this prophecy. I'm sorry that I'm giving a very light message today. Please forgive me for that. On the contrary, we believe that there is a blessing for nations and for people that do support Israel. Psalm 122 verse 6 commands us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure or may they prosper who love you, Jerusalem. Genesis 12, verse 3, to Abraham, God said, I will bless those who bless you, and I will dishonor those who curse you. May America never turn away from supporting Israel. Biblically, Christians are called to have a unique love, admiration, and respect for the Jewish people. Of course, Christians love everyone. But there's a special place in the heart of the believer, and there was a special place in the heart of the apostles for the nation of Israel, even in their fallen state. Romans 9, 1 to 3, Paul said, I am telling the truth in the Messiah. I am not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed separated for the, from the Messiah for the sake of my countrymen, the, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. The Apostle Paul was willing to give up his salvation, his salvation for the sake of Israel, his kinsmen, according to the flesh. What a heart and an example we have in that. He speaks of the Israelites and says in verse 4 and 5 of Romans 9, 9, to whom belongs Israel, the adoption as sons and daughters, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the Torah, the temple service, and the promises, who are the fathers and from whom is the Messiah. The Messiah is Jewish, according to the flesh, who is over all. God blessed forever 
he speaks of Israel as having all the promises and all of the gifts and the Torah and the law and the patriarchs and everything was all given to the people of Israel. He honors that. In 1 Corinthians 16, 1 to 3, you may not have caught that, caught this. If you remember in one of the earlier tenets, I said that often in the New Testament, when you see the English word saints, it's often talking about the Jewish people. And here's an example. 1 Corinthians 16, 1 to 3. Now concerning the collection for the saints. This is giving money or, or offerings or donations. As I directed the churches of Galatia, so he's not just talking to the Corinthians, apparently told this to other churches as well. This is Paul. He says, you are to do this as well. On the first day of the week, that would be Sunday, each of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper so that no collections need to be made when I come. When I arrive, whomever you approve, I will send them with letters to take your gift to Jerusalem. This means that Paul wasn't instructing the churches to have a worship service on Sunday. He was commanding them to just put their money aside weekly. For gifts to the Jewish people that will be sent from those churches to Jerusalem. That's a command from Paul to churches to give to the Jewish people. It's a command from Paul to the churches. Paul prioritized Jewish people when he evangelized. He said in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And within the book of Acts, even though he was considered the apostle to the Gentiles, he always went to the synagogue first when he entered a new city. Paul wants Gentile believers to recognize that Israel is your root and to honor Israel as such. He says in Romans 11, verse 18, do not be arrogant towards the natural branches. But if you are arrogant, remember, it is not you who supports the root. That's Israel. It is the root that supports you. And last week, I believe, I gave the analogy of the book of Ruth. Not Ruth. Ruth. Even though her Hebrew name is Ruth. Ruth. In the book of Ruth, we have Naomi. The Hebrew name for Naomi is Naami. In that word is the word Ami. Ami means my people. So Naomi, in the book of Ruth, is his people. It's Israel. That's why she was married to Elimelech. Elimelech means my God, Eli, king. Elimelech dies, not that God dies, but we see a separation between Naami, my people, and Elimelech, God, a separation. Naomi's children died, leaving her desolate. It's a desolate, isolated picture of Israel. In comes her two Gentile daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpah. One left Naomi and said, sayonara, I'm going back to my own people. But Ruth clung to broken Naomi, 
broken Israel and said, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people are my people. And your God, my God. Where you dwell, I will dwell. Where you're buried, there I will be buried. And let God deal with me harshly if anything but death separates you from me. This is the calling of the Christian. This is why it was Ruth that had the relationship with Boaz. And remember, they had the relationship, but the blessings from that relationship went to Naomi. Remember, Ruth, the Gentile, gleaned in the field of the Redeemer. And she took the gleanings and she gave it to Naomi, Israel. And Naomi said, where did you get this blessing from? And she said, from the kinsman redeemer. And then Naomi said, I know that guy. I'm related to him. Do you understand it? That's the model. And the fact that there are international organizations such as Christians United for Israel in this day is a work of God. Support for Israel in this time has become a foundational tenant in many, many evangelical churches. We support it. It's a work of God. It's an amazing thing in this time. And by the way, there's somebody here who told me something that I've never been told before. So Susie and I bought uh, a couple of years ago plots of, uh, plots of land in westerly Rhode Island. Because we lived in Westerly for the first 15 years of our time in Rhode Island. And we loved the town. But we, God called us out of it to come live around here. And but, so we, per, we, don't, we don't know if we'll ever live there again. But we did purchase grave sites. And then I was talking to somebody here whose name rhymes with pawn. But I won't say who he is. And I said, hey, maybe you and me and your family, I could take you to Westerly so you could just see our old digs and their old town and, uh, you know, Taylor Swift's house and all these things, these cool things that are there. And he's like, I know, I know, I got to go with you so I could see that cemetery. And I'm like, oh, you want to see the cemetery? He said, yeah, it says in the book of Ruth, where you're buried, I'll be buried too. <laughs> okay, sounds good. Baruch Hashem, I like it. It's, it's got waterfront. It's a very nice plot. It's very nice. Now, we all pray for America. We do it every week on Zoom as a congregation. But I have to tell you, America's salvation is not guaranteed. But the salvation of Israel is. Even Romans 11, verse 26, Paul says, all Israel will be saved. And Zechariah 12, 10, a beautiful messianic prophecy, says, I will pour out, this is in the end times, I will pour out on the house of David, on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, a spirit of grace and of supplication, and they will look upon me, whom they pierced. That's Yeshua. And they will mourn for him. That's their salvation, their repentance. Like one mourns for an only son, they will weep bitterly over him, like the bitter weeping over a firstborn. It then continues in Zechariah 13.1. It's a new chapter because those who put the Bible together put verses and chapters, but it wasn't how Zechariah wrote it. It was just a continuation. On that day, on that day, when they look upon him who they pierced, on that day, a fountain will be opened for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for defilement. Their salvation is promised all throughout the Bible. 
and they will be the head of nations in the messianic kingdom. Zechariah 8.23 says, The Lord of armies says this, In those days, ten people from every nation will grab the garment of a Jew and say, Let's go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. The end times promise to Israel is not just that they will be saved spiritually. The end times promise is that they will also be restored nationally. This started in 1948. Let me be direct. If your end times view, if your eschatology, what's going to happen in the end times when it comes to the tribulation and the coming of Yeshua and however you want to, to do it, if it does not include the ingathering of the Jews back to the land of Israel, then your end times theology is incomplete. This is extremely important. It is all throughout the Bible that even though the Jews sinned and were scattered around the world, in the end, in the coming of the Messiah, the second coming as we know, God will bring them back to the land, and they will be the light to all the nations that they were destined to be when God called them as a nation when they were brought forth from Egypt. Isaiah 11 verse 12 says, he will lift up a flag, a banner for the nations and assemble the banished ones of Israel, and he will gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Jeremiah 31.10 says, Hear the word of the Lord, you nations, and declare it in the coastlands far away. He who scattered Israel will gather them, and he will keep them as a shepherd keeps his flock. These are all end times prophecies. These were not fulfilled when they came back from Babylon because it talks about him speaking to the nations at the ends of the earth. Amos 9.15 says, I will plant them in their own land. They will not be uprooted again from their land, which I have given them. This was not yet fulfilled because after they came back from Babylon, they were uprooted again when the Romans came in and destroyed the land and they were scattered around the world. So when Amos said, they will not be uprooted again from their land, which I've given them, that is yet to be fulfilled. That's part of the ingathering that's happening today. And let's face it, the entire Bible from beginning to end truly is the story of Israel. It really, really is. You know, Christianity often likes to describe the story of the Bible as man fell in the Garden of Eden and was separated from God, and that was restored when Yeshua came and died on the cross. And everything in between is just commentary. Do we hear that? The story is man fell in the garden and Yeshua restored the relationship. That is true. But the whole book of the Bible is about Israel. It's their history book. The book of Genesis is Israel's ancestors and how they went to Egypt. The book of Exodus is how, they re how God redeemed them from Egypt and formed them as a nation. The Torah, is, the Torah is all about how Israel was supposed to live. Joshua, they're taking of the land. Then they're establishing kings from Saul to David to Solomon to all the other kings. All the books of the prophets are about them warning Israel to live a holy life. Or else judgments will come. The books of kings, the books of chronicles are actually just flat out history books. 
about the nation of Israel. The Bible chronicles their history from the good to the bad to the ugly, from their exile to their restoration. And the books all speak of the future king, the future Messiah, who will reign righteously. And how Israel will eventually be the head of all the nations. This does not end with the coming of the New Testament and the Brit Hadashah, the New Covenant. In the Gospels, we see the promised king of Israel that is introduced, Yeshua HaMashiach. And in the apostolic letters, we see how all the nations are grafted in to Israel. It's so interesting these days, people can ask a question, how, do, can, how can a Jew believe in Jesus? The question of the New Testament is, how can a Gentile believe in Jesus? That is the, primarily the question that the New Testament tries to answer. It's, it was no problem that a Jew believed in Jesus. That was the no-duh. The thing they needed to wrestle through is, what do the Gentiles have to do? Now that they're giving the Holy Spirit and they're coming to faith and giving the Holy Spirit, how do they come into fellowship? Much of the New Testament is about how a Gentile can believe in Jesus. It was presumed that Jews would. All the way at, to the very end of the Bible, at the very end of the book of Revelation, we see, as we sang today, Yeshua come as the Lion of Rome. Now, I'm sorry, the Lion of Washington, D.C., he comes as the lion of the tribe of Judah. His linkage as a Jew, his linkage to his tribal affiliation, his linkage to Israel never breaks right through his second coming. His identification of a Jew even exists then. Yeshua was a Jew, is a Jew, and if he's coming as the lion of Judah, apparently he will be a Jew too. And even again at the very end of the book of Revelation, I saw the holy city, the new New York. The new Bartleville. We've been praying for that. The new Vatican. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven. Down from heaven. I'm not going there. The new Jerusalem comes down from heaven, prepared as a bride, adorned for a husband. The whole Bible is about Israel, folks. In fact... Many of the verses that we use to bless ourselves and to encourage ourselves are really about Israel. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for prosperity and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. How many have prayed that over others or have it prayed over you? Well, let's read it also in context with the verse just prior to it, verse 10. For this is what the Lord says, when 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for prosperity and not for calamity to give you a future and a hope. It's about Israel. 
Isaiah 43, verse 2, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched. We've used that for ourselves. We pray that over other people. Here's what it says in context using the verse just prior to it. But now this is what the Lord says. He who is your creator, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you go through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched. It's about Israel. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. It's about Israel in its pure sense. The valley of dry bones. God speaking this breath into the bones. It's about Israel coming back in, it specifically says that I will breathe life into you, I'll resurrect you from your graves and take you back into your land. And it's okay that you do it, you Christians. It's okay because you are a part of Israel spiritually. This is your inheritance. The inheritance of Israel is yours. This is why Paul says all the promises. You inherit all these things, it says in Ephesians. It's okay that you use these scriptures. You're meant to use these scriptures. Because you are supposed to identify yourself as part of Israel. Not a replacement of Israel, a part of Israel. Do we need to sing the co-heirs song again like we did last week? With them, with them, with them, with them, with them. Israel will be a nation until the end of time. Jeremiah 31, 35 through 7 says, This is what the Lord says. He who gives the sun for light by day and the fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea so that, it waves, so that its waves roar, the Lord of armies is his name. If this fixed order departs from me, declares the Lord, then the descendants of Israel will also cease. He's saying that these are never going away and neither is Israel. That's what he's saying. We'll never cease to be a nation before me. So we, in conclusion, believe that the formation of the modern country of Israel in 1948 was and is a direct fulfillment of biblical prophecy. And as such, the Jewish people have divine ownership of that land and a right to govern it as a Jewish state. Our support for Israel is unconditional and is prophesied that all nations will be gathered against Jerusalem in the last days Jerusalem will be an immovable rock to all who lift it, and all who lift it will be severely injured. We wish no one to be on the wrong side of this prophecy. We will never sway from this. We will never equivocate regarding this. This will be, this is our stance now and forever as long as we are a congregation. Next week will be the final tenant, tenants number 10 and 11, and it will be about Messianic Judaism.